The views expressed in this podcast are not representative of T13 Media. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only and should not be used in lieu of professional advice or guidance. In this episode, I sit down with a good friend of mine by the name of Davey as we talk about non-for-profit organizations and being overworked, underpaid for the underserved. So I hope you have your fork and your knife ready because lunch is served. Welcome back to another Lunch Lady Mantra podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I appreciate all the love and support that I have gotten this far. So this week is a very special episode. I am sitting down with a really good friend of mine, Davey from Buffalo. What's up, Davey? Good morning. How are you? I am well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day on a Sunday to sit down with me and talk. No problem at all. So I know Davey from Buffalo. Davey is in Buffalo currently. And um, we met through a similar friend by the name of Jasmine. What's up, Jasmine? <laughs> so me and Davey go way back. And we've had a lot of experience working together through um, volunteer work and not-for-profits and stuff like that, which we'll talk about. But yeah, so Davey, tell tell um, my listeners a little bit about like who you are and what you do. I mean, aside from being like that girl... Essentially, <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's Virgo season. But realistically, I'm just like your typical um, queer person of color living in Buffalo, New York. Um, I've been working at this really cool nonprofit called the Mocha Center for about two and a half years now. So, like, ever since college, my life's calling has really just been about like creating like more spaces and more access for like other queer and trans people of color by any means necessary. So. The work I do really just focus on, like, HIV prevention and then really just, like, reducing, like, any barriers or care of, like, my community. So, if you'd like to get to know me some more, just keep on listening. Yeah. So, Davey <laughs> mentioned, Davey works at the Mocha Center, which is a, if you ask me, a beacon of love and hope for any young or adult queer trans person of color in Buffalo. Um, there are spaces and clinics for individuals who are trying to receive HIV preventative measures, um, but very few spaces actually cater to people of color. So Mocha Center is one of the pillars in Buffalo that is actually giving and creating spaces for youth of color specifically too, to really expand themselves and experience who they are and give them a safe place to exist unconditionally. So I thank the Mocha Center for that. Um, I was able to experience the Mocha Center through SHADE, which stands for Sexual Health Advocates Delivering Empowerment. Okay. It's a project that was created by the MOCA Center, um, a volunteer project allowing youth and individuals in the community to be leaders um, in movement and in preventative services, allowing to educate the community in different ways and creating and allowing spaces for people to exist that don't always reinforce drug and alcohol usage. Okay. Yes. So that was a mouthful there, but yeah. So yes, uh, I volunteered with Mocha. It was a very awesome experience, and I'm really glad that me and Davey actually connected because we've worked together through um, different things. So whether it was at Mocha or my last AmeriCorps site at Plymouth Crossroads, we've done some things. So like I talked about in the intro, um, what we're going to talk about today specifically is just kind of being overworked, underpaid, and you're in the position of working for the underserved. Now, the Mocha Center is a non-for-profit agency. And when I first worked at Plymouth Crossroads, which is the first location that I worked with, AmeriCorps, that is also a non-for-profit. And me and Davey worked a lot 
together that year, kind of providing health services and preventative measures to the youth that were in that home, along with everyone else that we were serving during that year. Um, so I, we just wanted to kind of talk about being overworked and underpaid and kind of like what burnout leads you and things of that nature, because we had a conversation about it before. And I felt that it's very important to kind of mention this to anyone who is working in a capacity where you're serving other people, right? Right. So one of the things that we talked about was like, I, I heard you mention vicarious trauma before. Um, yeah. Kind of like talk about that, because I thought that was really interesting when we were having that conversation before, kind of how people receive vicarious trauma through the work. Yeah. So like in my head, like how I define um, vicarious trauma is basically when you latch on to like certain like experiences or like negative forms of like trauma or even like any like harmful emotions based off like how other people are living them by like these clients or even like people just like continuous like living like in reality realities that they live in you begin to like attach or like even latch on to like those like negative emotions so you start to like carry the weight of like all the people that you serve which is really just like harmful to like your body and like your mental state like in a continuous basis so, like, when it comes down to it, like, the more, like, you're trying to, like, um open up, be, like, that beacon of hope, and really just trying to, like, be, like, that support system for, like, you for just, like, your clients in general, the more that like, you allow yourself to be, like, vulnerable. And, like, a lot of times you really just are, like, um protecting yourself. It's just very easy for, like, all, like, that trauma from, like, other people to, like, seep into, like, your own self, which really just, like, impacts, like, how you navigate, like, yourself. It impacts like your relationships, you know, with clients, coworkers, intimate relationships, and so forth. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, so like I mentioned, I worked at Plymouth Crossroads um about going on almost like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And um it's basically a runaway and homeless shelter for youth sixteen through twenty one years old, particularly males or um those who identify as male. And yeah, I received a lot of trauma, I realized, in that year, working through with these individuals and trying to not essentially take on their problems, but you can't help it sometimes when you are really a compassionate person and you care mm-hmm. for the future of the individuals that you're serving. Um, but there are many, many instances, for instance, where I've witnessed individuals solely being homeless just because of their, because of how they identify themselves or because of what they um, will identify their sexuality as. And it's it's a very upsetting situation because I see myself as a queer man of color who was able to kind of like beat bounds and like jump over barriers of access. And I allowed myself to get to a place that other queer youth essentially are trying to just get to. They're just trying to get past the barrier. So um, I take on this little bit of trauma, but also uh, a sense of, and I know that a lot of people feel it too sometimes where you kind of feel bad for how successful you've been in a situation while you see peers when you're working in this particular situation um, struggling, you know. So that's also hard too because, again, I was working with like 16 to 21 years old, a 21-year-old. I was 23, so I wasn't that far off from age. So it was mm-hmm. relatable. Um, so I definitely relate to that vicarious trauma. And I also had to actually talk to someone after my service year was over to kind of unpack all of the trauma that I received from other people, from the job. Um, now, if anyone works in non-for-profits, I'm sure you all know that a, a lot of non-for-profits are trying to fight for funding. They're trying to fight for the profits to keep them their establishments afloat, which means it's different things. It can be understaffed. So a lot of agencies are understaffed, which means their employees are working 10 times harder, which is how a lot of agencies have employees who are overworked. 
And it's just a scary thing that me and David were talking about when you are in a capacity to serve individuals and you're serving a population to make sure that this population can live the best life that they're living, but you're in a position where you're no longer living the best life that you're living because you're giving your all and being overworked and underpaid or undervalued for the work that you're giving. And speaking of undervalued, I think it's worth mentioning that just altogether, services that intend to help and benefit other people are undervalued altogether. Like social services, teachers, you know, it's just something that is not put on this high pedestal, which obviously, in my opinion, I think it should be. No, I definitely agree. It should be. I feel as if like whenever like you're giving out to the community, either do like um service work or even like educating people, people just choose to devalue because it's not really like their reality or even like their job description whatsoever. So I feel as like when you have people who like are working the trenches, who are like giving like their all and like who are like educating people, that working like those um interactions like with um clients are really just like ignored completely. Either because like you're not meeting deliverables or because people don't actually see the work that you're doing like on a day to day basis. Exactly. Exactly. Deliverables. I like how you said that. Um, because sometimes you sometimes you don't get those results immediately, or sometimes they're not results that you can essentially put on paper, right? Um, yeah. Now we mentioned before too when we were talking about kind of like, and I said it earlier, how um, you may be a pillar in your agency, or you may be someone providing services. And for instance, when I moved into my position at Plymouth Crossroads, the first position and title that I really held was a health care resource specialist. So my job essentially was to create a healthcare system inside Plymouth Crossroads that allowed for the facilitation of the youth to kind of handle their own health care, from finding their own PCPs to calling Medicaid cabs, scheduling rides to their appointments, how to schedule dentist appointments if they don't have insurance, who to call to figure it out. Um, you know, a whole system of resources for them. Now I was very successful in my position for one major reason, I think, is because I knew a lot of people like you, right? So mm-hmm. when I meet immediately, as soon as I got to the crossroads, I reached out to you, asking if you can come and give like HIV preventative measure conversations and do workshops with my youth. Um, and through my connections and people that I knew in the city, I was able to really expand the healthcare system. Um, now, but when people like me or if anyone leaves an agency, when you're at that pivotal to something so important, it's almost like what happens to that system that you built and the groundwork that is in place. Because I, I think that everyone has a passion for what they're doing, but not mm-hmm. everyone may have the same passions that you had or the same connections or the resources that you had. So I always think about that too, when individuals move on from a position that was tr- truly helping other people what happens to those people? Like, what happens to that healthcare system now for those boys who are in that home? Is it still something that is, like, work, you know? So, like, even how I see it, because I think we have, like, um similar experiences. But before I get into it, I have, like, one quick question for you. Like, when you first um had, like, the position, like, in Plymouth Crossroads, what training did they actually give you, like, for that role? Okay, so AmeriCorps mm-hmm. gave me a really weird but insightful training. So they kind of do it like very culty, I can't lie. Um, AmeriCorps Vista, I've explained this. If you guys want to know more about AmeriCorps, listen to episode number one, um, What is AmeriCorps, where I explain and break down all of AmeriCorps. 
Um, but AmeriCorps Vista particularly does a really intense training session where they train about like 400 people together and um, it's three days long and they kind of really break you down to understand what like poverty is and um, you know at-risk populations and kind of how to work around traumas and triggers and not so as far as approaching the population they gave me a little bit of um, experience as far as training but I will tell you that AmeriCorps Vista is a position where you're not supposed to do direct service, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was not intended to work directly with the population. But, as we all know, with non-for-profits, it's underfunded and understaffed. So, and as a healthcare specialist, it's almost impossible to not do direct service. So they gave me the, the education that I needed and the training that I needed to work with the population indirectly to serve them. But I'm a very compassionate individual, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and I do not believe that I was able to really, really assess the needs of the individuals and their health from a, a third party. And to be honest, I related with a lot of the individuals who were in the home. They were young. A lot of them were identified as queer in some different form. Um, so I created also a safe space for them to exist, a safe space for mm-hmm. them to conversate with. So when even talking about something as important and as scary as your health issues, um, especially for even a trans individual, right? Um, it's they're very people are very particular about who they want to unpack that with. So off the rip, I was able to talk directly with individuals um, about the services that they needed, but I wasn't given the proper training immediately. But I will say that AmeriCorps did really well in training us on a weekly basis. So throughout the time frame of me working at Plymouth Crossroads. I did start to garnish the training that I needed to work properly with this population of people. But I will admit, at first, I was a little overwhelmed. Cannot lie. So the reason why like, I brought that up, because I feel as if, like, even with my job, like, I feel like the training is always, like, very, very general. Like, so, like, for my position, and really just to give people, like, a more insight, like, what I do, like, on a day-to-day basis. So, um, HIV testing, um, sexual health education, risk reduction counseling, linkage and navigation. So if there's like any service that we don't offer, I just help link and navigate you through like um, the various like systems like in the healthcare world, um, program development, event coordination, and so on and so forth, and social media. So it's like a lot that like I'm juggling with. So when it came down to like those six, seven um, roles that I had, the training itself was really just like an HIV overview, how to test people, the, the big top on cultural competency, and that was really just it. So it's just like people would typically just give you like these trainings, but they really don't like necessarily prepare you for like the experiences that you're going to take on. And I really just feel as if like people never really keep in the bill like what that position actually means, the um, demand that the workload on like on your body and like the workload that would actually give you. So I just personally feel as if like there's always going to be a disconnect. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, you know what it is. Like, when you signed up for this, you know what it was in an interview, but it's never like that. Like, nobody could, at Waffles, if nobody properly, in, like, a transparent way, tells you exactly, like, what you're getting yourself into. And without, like, that proper training or even, like, um senior staff members, like, letting you know, like, what the work actually entails, I feel as if, like, you're shooting yourself in the foot to a degree. And I feel as if, like, really just, like, with that, that's always been like my own personal struggle with working in a nonprofit. Like one feeling as if like I wasn't like properly trained enough and two, I guess like slightly being afraid to a degree. So like the reason why I say afraid is because like, if you're never trained on something, 
sometimes you never really you never really know if you're going to get the like desired results from like doing like a specific program or doing like a specific in service or like anything like that so it's just like a lot of fear from like wanting to do something different but not wanting to like waste your time because we have like a thing called like a grant cycle so if you don't get like certain like numbers within that grant period you're not going to get funding if you're not getting funded you're not going to get paid so it's like a lot that goes into it yeah um i like that you mentioned the grant cycle um so there is a lot of mumbo jumbo that goes into explaining grants that i really won't unpack for you all today um but just kind of in retrospect a grant is kind of like this application that you write either to a foundation or the state or the government however you are choosing to apply for funding and it's a very tedious and long and hard process um i took part in writing grants for Plymouth crossroads and on top of that if your agency is low on funding your whole agency is focused on funding every little aspect of what you're doing in your agency is focused on funding whether that's like making sure your numbers quote off quote on look good um making sure that your donors are happy and sometimes it almost seems like the agency itself is catering more to the needs of the donor or to the needs of the funding than actually servicing the people that they're supposed to serve just because the need for funding is so big and um un- unfortunately that happens in a lot of non-for-profits but you're right i think because of the underfunding um then we have a lack of training and professionalism on how to completely facilitate your job the right way. And then also there is that lack of information in your job description. Because like I said, I was hired for a healthcare resource specialist position. The only thing I was in my contract that I was supposed to do was just provide healthcare resources and do a little bit of just development. So maybe leverage Mm -hmm. um, some in-kind donations, which is easy, you know, tell my friends to come over come up and drop off some things that they don't need any longer. Um, But then it quickly became a system of where, all right, your healthcare system is fine. These these, uh, youth while you're here can learn how to call their own doctor while you're here, whatever. Now we need you to do A, B, and C because we need more money. So we need you to go hand out these to donors and do this for development and do this for development and write this grant and write this grant. So by the end of the year, I worked more on building the agency than I did on making sure that my healthcare system was intact and the foundation for the youth were in place. And I just felt like I'm not the only one who experiences that through non-for-profit work. So it's really, no. it can be very troubling too, you know? So like, even with that, like, <laughs> I really relate off of that because like, even like Andrew explained, I always think to myself, okay, well, what was being done before I came here? Who was going to do it before I came here? So like, even like when I first started my job, um, it was me being like the youngest person. So if I'm not mistaken, I was like 21 at the time when I first started. Then it was like um, two senior staff members who were like in their late 20s, early 30s, if I'm not mistaken. And then like this um, one older woman who was like our supervisor. So like when I first came in the game, mind you, this is like right after college. They just had like these egregious ass expectations that onto me like from the get go. Like, okay, we want you to start getting to um, high school, start reaching out to all the um, guidance counselors, start getting more youth in here. I'm just thinking like, I never kind of got this counselor before. I'm pretty sure there are certain limitations when it comes down to like going into high schools. And it's just like, I don't have a car. So how are you expecting me to get to like A, B, and C like realistically? So I just feel like when it comes down to like you working like in nonprofits, I feel as if like our passion, just like us being like young in general, really just like exploits us. I really just feel as if like older people or even like senior staff or whoever it is they just set like these unrealistic expectations onto us 
and they just feel it because like you come in with like this can do attitude, ready to change up the system, ready, ready to like fuck shit up, that like they're gonna throw like all these responsibilities and tasks onto you that they wouldn't even give themselves. So like that's like the other disconnect that I have like when it comes down to like my job and how other people do like their job and what responsibilities and roles they want to place onto me. No, I definitely I definitely agree. I like how you said um we're exploited for for our youth. <laughs> um <laughs> that just like sent chills down my spine because there 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 were many times where the phrase said by an executive was, Oh, you're young, you can do this. Oh, or like, oh you you're good with social media. You you can you can do this. Yes. It's almost as if like you're exploiting the idea of millennialism onto me and expecting me to to facilitate whatever your needs are. And again, all of this is just connected to the fact that like we are serving other people and we are serving other populations. So when our agency isn't given to us the way that we need to be given to, it just correlates to the kind of services and care that we're giving to the people who actually need it, the underserved. Now, now, do you have any ideas or tips of ways for people to kind of avoid burnout? I know burnout happens to everybody, whether this is not-for-profit, whether this is corporate America, whatever mm-hmm. that you hold, burnout is very hard to avoid. So are there any things that you do to avoid Yes. <laughs> yeah, so like, I feel that even like the term burnout, so this is about to be a really, really quick story. When I first started to job and I had like all, I mean, I still have the same energy. My energy is like just modified at the moment. But when I first started, I always used to hear like that term just being thrown around like burnout, burnout, burnout. I'm like, y'all tired? Like, what are y'all tired from? So I was just always like curious, like what the hell does burnout actually look like? Like one year later, like I finally found out what burnout is, is really just like not having like proper boundaries set for yourself for like your own job, your clients, your coworkers, wherever the case may be. And I think like, I think the most common solution that people always say is like, oh, don't take the work home. But realistically, that's real as hell. So it's like, if you really want to be like um, an approachable person, sometimes you will lower certain boundaries to certain clients, especially if you feel as if like um, you relate to them or if you um, know that they don't have like any like, for any realistic genuine support system outside of like your interactions, like on the clock or whatever the case may be. So sometimes you may take calls from like clients like off the clock. Sometimes you may be friends with them like on social media. Sometimes you would just want to be like that voice of reason for them or even like that ear for them to listen to because you understand or you think that they don't have nobody else but you. So what I've just been doing recently is really just like restructuring all my boundaries with people while still being like approachable and like relatable to own clients as well. So like not accepting friend requests. If they um, are already like my friend on Facebook or something not answer like any Facebook message like when I'm off the clock. If I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock. I'm realistically not about to do like any work because honestly, if I'm not gonna get finan I mean this is gonna sound like mean, but I think it's real. If I'm not gonna get financially compensated for it, I am not going to do it. Realistically. Because as you just said, if like half your check is going just to rent, what about the other half of the work that you was doing off the clock? Are you gonna get paid for that? No. So it's really just like restructuring your boundaries that you set for yourself and that you set for other people. Even when it comes down to um, coworkers as well, because I feel as if like coworkers really cannot attribute to burnout. So it's like, I feel like one thing is really like speaking up with like what you need and like what you want. So like, if you want to be this pillar of success, that um, pillar needs to be supported by other people. You can't just be carrying that um, pillar on your back. So realistically telling your coworkers like how you feel, what's bothering you and like utilizing like your support system within your your team. I feel that the other thing is like really setting higher boundaries with um, 
new coworkers as well. I remember one time somebody tried to text me something to work related, like, and it was like my off day. I said, no, we can handle this tomorrow. I'm no, I'm not getting into this thing. So like respecting somebody's time off. If they're off, do not bother them with work whatsoever. Especially don't text them. If anything, just send them an email. And I guess too, just like I think the biggest thing that I like really been like working on like this year. Having always remembering like that long term vision that you have for like you like the organization, the work that you do, your clients, etc. Because I feel that the minute that you lose track of like your passion or even like the work that you're trying to um change like within like the system, that's the moment that everything starts like topple down onto you. Once you focus and give too much energy on like the day to day issues, it really just sets yourself up for failure. So, yeah, I think it's very often that we do, we end up doing off the clock work essentially and not compensated for it. And I think that's another part of where we're exploited, especially as youth entering a field or trying to uh, move up in our careers. We want to be successful and we want to be those pillars. So we want to be able to make sure that we're looked at people who are capable of doing our jobs. But sometimes that means doing everyone's job, which leads me to the mm-hmm. statement um, that you pointed out with um, coworkers who... Um, help help burn you out essentially um i've also witnessed when your administration so i think this is going to relate with a lot of people but when your administration above you is no longer doing their job to their full potential when they are burned out um or they just there is a disconnect between the worker bees and the administration it makes for a really 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 terrible situation because then the employees are no longer happy or being fulfilled. Even if they are saying what they need, they're not getting what they need. And the management or the administration is either there in place for power, for say-so, for money, whatever. Um, or maybe the board, because I've worked with an agency where the board was the issue to all of the problems. Um, so I think that it's really sad, too, when you are trying to avoid burnout from your own job, from the own position that you're in, and there are support systems in place that are supposed to be helping you there but yet they are just tearing you down essentially and you know throwing into your burnout um so Mm -hmm. i think it's really important that you speak up for yourself like you said and kind of tell individuals in your agency what you need and remind them that you are only here for a bigger purpose you are here to help other people um and that they need to be a support and i did like how you said that um if you want to be a pillar you're going to need the support system um, you can't, you, like, so let me say that also, with pillars in the community, that you're just not the only pillar. There's no way that you're going to hold up anything by being the only pillar in that community. Now, it's a beautiful thing when you have decorated pillars, essentially. So you have pillars of different, like, different sorts. So we have, you know, someone representing for the cutie pop population and so on and so forth. But I think it, it's a community that needs to uphold and respect the values of each other in order to move the community forward. So it takes more than one person. Like they say, it takes a village to raise someone. I think that's very true. So it takes a village of pillars, right, to Mm -hmm. to see the success in the future of the population. And in this instance, maybe the youth that I'm working with, that I was working with, um, or I can use the students that I'm working with right now. The whole school, it takes like the whole community to see the success of these children and make sure that they can read and hit these scores and be successful later on in life. And um, it's just not one person. And it's a whole support system in place. So I think it's very important when you're working in a situation, especially with at-risk individuals or at-risk youth. Our youth are our future. 
I'm going to say that again. Our youth are our future. And we need to look at them as such. And we need to treat them as such. Because, I mean, honestly, boo-boo, someone's going to be taking care of us when we get to those uh, old people homes. And it's going to be <laughs> So we got to treat them with respect and value them, okay? That's real. That's so real. Um, you know what I think is also, um, I don't know when the hell I thought about this in a conversation. But I know um, you said, like, the word system, like, um, several times. So I guess this is, like, just, like, another, like, general tip for people. I think it's very vital for people to understand, like, the hierarchy or even, like, how that system, like, leadership actually operates and knowing people's um, job descriptions as well. I feel as if, like, as soon as you um, know, like, what somebody's um, job description truly is and what they're supposed to do and they understand, like, what you're supposed to do, then it's easier for you to, like, um, hold people accountable and really just tell people, okay, I was not paid for that. I was not brought on for that. No. Because I feel as if, like, if you don't truly understand the system, it's just easier for you to become finessed by the system. And it's easier for you, like your can-do attitude to be exploited like yet again. And people just throw more of like their workload onto you because you're like a high efficiency worker. And I guess that's just like the most, not even triggering, the most annoying thing that like staff members can do. So if like they understand that like you produce good work and like you're never stressed out, you never appear to be um, stressed out like on a facial structure then it's either for them to like their workload onto you, either intentionally or unintentionally, who knows? People don't keep it a bill. But know the system where you will get finessed by it. Right, right. So be aware of the system because we need you at your full capability and capacity in order to serve the population of people that you are serving. And if I say population one more time, I think I'm going to... But yeah, I really think that's that's really important to be aware of your surroundings and your scenarios that you're in when helping people because this this system that we're in could really hurt you before you get to really help anybody. Um, and it's really sad. So I think it's worth having this conversation and letting people know that like if you are in a position of not-for-profit work, if you're a teacher, shoot, if you are a mother, okay, if you are anyone <laughs> trying to help the success of another individual... Just know that like you are not alone, and I hear your burnout, and I hear that you're tired, and I hear that you're overworked, because I am too, and you know, and other individuals are too. But just know that at the end of the day, like we are here to make sure that we see the success of others. Um, and if we create a community within ourselves, if we allow ourselves to be our support systems within each other, then we can see forward that we are going to be successful in doing the work that we do. Um, but it's unfortunate, man. And I just felt like it was worth unpacking this and kind of getting it off our chest and giving us a space and a platform to have this conversation with us about being overworked and underpaid um, for a, a community that is underserved. So it's very sad because at the end of the day, we are lifelines for people. You know, we are very vital lifelines and we need to be cared for to make sure that they are cared for. So when their lifeline is not cared for, and then their lifeline is not there as often or as efficient. What what happens to them? What happens to the underserved? True. Nobody should get lost to care. But more importantly, we also need lifelines as well. It can't just be us being like these pillars of success. We need to reach out to our support systems. If we don't have a support system, we just need to restructure realistically what self-care looks like for us, who is bidding for us holistically, and who is going to be there for us at the end of the day. Even that's just an air to vento or a yoga mat to stretch on. We need something more. 
Um, now, real quick, I just want Davey to have a chance to kind of plug Mocha Center again for those of you <laughs> who are in Buffalo. Um, this way, you guys can, you know, get all this good information. So, Davey, uh, kind of just explain to them again really quickly um, what services are available at the Mocha Center, what people can do, what, what can they come see you, like, what's that, what's that? So, I mean, of course, if you would come see me, why wouldn't you want to see me? But realistically, the Mocha Center really is just like a home for like Korean trans people of color. If you really just don't know like who you are or you just need a space to like call your own, the Mocha Center truly is a home for you. We're a drop-in center located at 1092 Main Street across from the Wendy's near the Summer Best train station. And the services that we offer is one, a relatable staff member is that's able to really just communicate the needs of the community that we serve. HIV testing on-site, Hep C testing on-site. Um, in the future, if I'm not mistaken, a couple months from now, we're also going to offer um, SAI screening. We offer, um, yes, yes, we're going to come up. We're going to come up. For, for those of you who are listening, you do not understand how amazing it is for a drop-in agency to offer an STI screening, especially an agency like Mocha Center that is, that is particularly catering to those of color. So that's amazing because for a very long time, it was just like HIV prevention um, and mm-hmm. HIV testing, which is also very important. But for individuals who are like, let's say on prep, right, um, and still want a safe space to be tested, um, a lot of the spaces that for like for me that I want to be tested are by like white doctors and, mm-hmm. and uh, c- kind of catered for like a queer white man population, which is fine. You know, no all tea, all shade, but I'm just saying it makes it feel more comfortable when the person who I'm getting tested by looks like me. True. And I guess who's who really just like hit on that. Outside of like New York um, City alone, there's only three centers that are actually like grant funded to serve queer and trans people of color. One is a Mocha Center in all New York State, oh, New York State. excluding New York City. So like one is a Mocha Center Buffalo, the other is a Mocha Center in Rochester, and then the last one is like another um center in Albany. So even with that, like the disparity and like the gap is still real because New York State is such like a vast and big state alone. There's only three cities outside of like New York City that's actually folks like the community that we're a part of. Wow. And that has a lot to do with like, see, and that there's a whole other conversation that we can have about like representation and the space yeah. <laughs> existing, which I won't go into. But yeah, basically, that's crazy. I did not know that. Thank you for that little bit of information. So y'all, if cool. you are living in Buffalo, New York, and you want to go get tested, you should get tested. You should know your status. You should be getting tested every three months if you are having sex, okay? Um, you should definitely stay on top of your health for yourself and for others around you um, to make sure that we are all living the best lives that we are meant to live because that what is what we're here to do, people, okay? Live our best lives. Um, our healthiest lives, whatever lives that that means correct for us. Um, so yeah, definitely go check out Davey at the Mocha Center. It's a beautiful space to exist. I'm so grateful that the Mocha Center was there. I also have to like say something too, and I said this before, but um, a lot of my friends back home in Buffalo are like white, which is again, no issue. Um, but I think, and I was mentioning this to a good friend of mine last night, that sometimes as a queer man of color, sometimes I don't feel black enough to exist in spaces with black people because I'm queer and especially with like um, heterosexual black men, sometimes toxic masculinity is uh, ingrained so deeply that I feel uncomfortable in certain spaces. So sometimes I don't feel like um, I am considered black enough to exist within certain spaces and then clearly I'm not white, right? So whatever, and I'm not trying to be, Um, but it just, it was beautiful when I was able to exist inside the Mocha Center and I didn't feel like I wasn't enough 
I felt like this is somewhere that I can completely relate and be myself. And I don't have to pretend. I don't have to put on this persona. I know that like I'm beautiful in my own brown skin because everyone in this building is brown and they're all beautiful. And honestly, I'm telling y'all, like when you're able to feel beautiful in your skin because of a place that allows you to exist to your full potential, cherish that place and, and allow it to have a piece of your heart because that is a very uh, safe thing to have in this world that we live in, especially with the time and the turmoil that we're all going through. So when you find a safe haven, let them know that they are a safe haven for you and appreciate them. So thank you, uh, Davey, because if it wasn't for you, I don't think I would have existed in the way that I did for the last year while I was in Buffalo. Um, and I grew in so many different ways. You made me, and I've said this before, but you made me, you're a you and your agency and the people inside your building have made me feel so, so comfortable in my queer blackness that um, no one can tell me anything now. And it has mm-hmm. a lot to do with you. So thank you. I, have, I really want to say thank you. No problem, sis. Um, yeah, that was our quick little lunch this week. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys resonated. Um, and if you have any questions, is there an email that uh, people can reach out to you? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. Let me stop. I'm like really excited. I have like a work email and stuff. So um, my email address is d cell so d s e l l at mochacenter dot org. Um, you spell it exactly the same way that it sounds. You can reach out to me if I have any um personal um issue that you may have, any health concern, any advice. You know what I do more specifically, whatever the case may be. Cool, cool. Yeah, so definitely if you guys have any questions, reach out. If you're in San Francisco um, and you need some information on preventative care, I have a little bit of information. I'm sure we all know that if you live in San Francisco, though, Magnet and Strut is probably like where you're going. So whatever, you know, I get it. Magnet and Strut is like the evergreen of Buffalo. Okay. Evergreen is like the magnet of San Francisco. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, and you guys always know where to follow me at. You can catch me on at Wonder Jossie on social media. Go to my Instagram page at Wonder Jossie. There's a link to my podcast Instagram, your Lunch Lady Mantra podcast. Yeah. So again, that was our lunch this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Feel free to follow all of us and hit us up for information. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Check me out next week. Bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>